Like almost no event in recent history, the coronavirus pandemic has turned everyone's life upside down. People of all genders, races, religions, and ages. But it has uniquely impacted young people, and those reverberations will continue to be felt for members of my generation, Generation Z, and the millennial generation that precedes us for decades to come. Studies have shown that the events that take place in the early years of your life can impact your political leanings and attitudes for your entire lifetime. In the case of my generation, many of us were born just before or after 9-11, the deadliest terrorist attack in American history, and now we're graduating high school during the coronavirus, the deadliest pandemic this nation has ever seen. And millennials have also come of age in similarly turbulent times. Many of them entered the job market during the 2008 recession, which means they are dealing with their second economic crisis. In this episode of Wake Up to Politics, I dig into the impact the coronavirus and those other major events have had and are having on younger Americans. We'll hear from young listeners of this podcast, and we'll put their experiences into context with the help of Charlotte Alter, a national correspondent at Time Magazine and the author of The Ones We've Been Waiting For, How a New Generation of Leaders Will Transform America. I think that this is absolutely one of the major events that will shape how your generation thinks about politics. Charlotte's book profiles young leaders who are likely to dominate the political sphere in the years to come, from Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez to Pete Buttigieg to Elise Stefanik, and reveals what led them into politics and what makes them think differently about government than the septuagenarians that currently run all three branches of government. The book focuses on millennials, but she says that both millennials and Generation Z will be acutely impacted by COVID-19 and its unforetold consequences. I'm Gabe Fleischer, and from St. Louis Public Radio and me, this is Wake Up to Politics. Because delineating between generations can be difficult and imprecise, everyone has a different definition. Let's start by clarifying who we're talking about when we refer to millennials and Generation Z in this podcast. The oldest millennials are pushing 40, and the youngest millennials are in their mid-20s, and the oldest Gen Z are in their mid-20s, and the youngest are still kind of in high school. It's a distinction that should be made clear, because while some millennials are still relatively young, others are nearing their 40s, a reality that some people often miss. A lot of older people confuse millennials with Gen Z. So they like to put Greta Thunberg and Pete Buttigieg in the same sentence just because they're under 40. And I'm kind of like, hey, listen, guys, uh, you know, I do think that Gen Z and millennials have a lot of overlapping concerns and a lot of similar uh, political leanings, as we've seen. Like, they're definitely, definitely have a lot in common, but there are a lot of things that millennials experienced that Gen Z didn't, and also a lot of things that Gen Z's experienced that millennials didn't. So it's it's kind of disingenuous to paint everybody under 40 with such a broad brush. Because the two generations are at different stages in life, the coronavirus outbreak isn't having the same impact across the board. For millennials, the impact will probably be felt most strongly financially, as the economy takes its second massive hit in just a little more than a decade. And the reason that's really important is that the first couple years of your 
life financially of working, of building wealth and, you know, advancing in your career are often the most important because that's when you can really build credibility in your industry. It's when you build connections. It's when you can start to build wealth, to have a family. And so to have that decimated twice in the course of a little over a decade means that um, millennials were set back doubly. A study published by the Federal Reserve in 2018 found that millennials have lower earnings, fewer assets, and less wealth than each preceding generation did at the same age. They have already experienced the financial ruin caused by one major recession in their short time in the workforce. It is impossible to know what the effect of another one might be. Hi Gabe, uh, Shira Berkowitz, a millennial, calling in to talk about how this pandemic is affecting uh, my generation and myself more specifically. One way that the pandemic is maybe like emotionally affecting many in our generation is that we uh, financially look a lot differently than a generation, say, from our parents' generation who have financial stability a lot earlier on than we did, have healthcare stability a lot earlier on than we did, and um, therefore maybe weren't living, weren't living alone right now, don't have roommates, um, have a nuclear family. I think a lot of millennials um, are in the position of living alone, um, like myself, or living with roommates, or have relied for years, a decade, on building community amongst each other versus building nuclear families um, as we've tried to fend for uh, financial freedom and um, in an economy that really was not ready to amass our generation. And so that isolation right now is feeling, one, the burden of, uh, of not being able to socialize with each other Moving on to Generation Z, the coronavirus is most likely to be disruptive in how we receive our education, which Charlotte says might actually be the aspect of world events that is most determinative of how young people feel and understand them. A lot of really important things that happen in the world that maybe your average teenager might not be paying attention to, even if it's really important and on the front page of the New York Times. You know, things like the Iran nuclear deal or, um, you know, war in Syria or, you know, any number of things that uh, the grown-ups in the world are paying a tremendous amount of attention to, but doesn't seem to really affect kids that much. And what I learned is that the thing that really wakes kids up and younger people up and teenagers and, and, and the people who are in Gen Z right now, the thing that wakes them up is the thing that gets school canceled. <laughs> um, and so by that measure, something like the coronavirus pandemic, which has not only canceled school for a day or two in the way that we saw after 9-11 when school was canceled in a lot of places or after various major hurricanes where school was canceled in a lot of places or after school shootings where school has been canceled. If there's a school shooting in the, in the area, that's going to have a tremendous impact on how young people see their government and how they view their own role in the political system. Many Gen Z listeners of this show sent in messages about how the abrupt transition out of in-person classes has affected them and their educations. Hi Gabe, my name is Emmett Miskell and I am a third year international affairs major um, at Georgia Tech um, in, in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, and it's it's been really interesting with this going on because in the past month, um, you know, 
college students, um, not not just myself, but a lot of college students, we've had to move move out of our dorm. Um, my classes, specifically within my major, and you know a lot of other majors, have had to move uh, uh, a lot of seminar-based classes um, to a virtual format, which isn't necessarily conducive to that. So it's been an interesting experience. Um, you know, our professors had to completely change the syllabus and move to an entirely virtual format in a week. Um, and so, what is what does that speak for higher education and? And, and going forward in, in future years. Um, so I think that's going to be interesting. And I th- also think another aspect of this that's um, more more so concerning is going to be the mental health aspect um, of this because I know a lot of, um, you know, students. I, I had the pleasure of working with the Residence Hall Association at Georgia Tech um, and having so many students have to move back home has been um, – really stressful um not not everybody lives in the most conducive you know home environment um to to virtual learning um and not everybody has internet access and so i, I think this is going to have a lot of implications for for not only higher education but also for mental health so those are kind of my thoughts and uh my questions so thank you and with these sudden changes have come disappointments and frustrations for me it has meant an upended senior year a canceled prom an uncertain graduation, ending my high school experience at home. Hello, my name is Martin. I am 13, about to be 14, and um, I am a Wake Up to Politics uh, reader and listener. We're not going to be going back to school for the rest of the year, and that's kind of sad because this is my 8th grade year, and I'm at a school where it's kindergarten through 8th grade, so I've been at that school since kindergarten, and I'm in 8th grade now, and um, it just has a really abrupt ending, and there's a lot of, like, um, there's a lot of, like, cool things that 8th grade does at the end of the year that, you know, we're not going to be doing or at least not going to be doing in the same in the same capacity as we usually do which is definitely disappointing but this isn't the first time these generations of americans have been dealt disappointments in fact it might be the defining experience of our political upbringing you know part of what i argue in my book is that um millennials in particular um experienced three great disillusionments the first was uh during was the war in iraq which which, the, which was the collapse of credibility of the foreign policy establishment. Then in 2008, uh, there was a second collapse, which was obviously the financial crisis in which a lot of the economic leaders had said, oh my God, you know, look at these great bundles of loans. Like, this sounds great. Like everyone, let's do this. And then surprise, it was a huge disaster. A crisis like this can go one of two ways. It can either prove to people that government can work or it can prove to people that government doesn't work. Right now, it really seems to be proving to people that government is not working. If that's the case, then I think it's going to take a lot for millennials and Gen Z to believe in the American government again as something that can actually deliver results in their lives. Just this week, Pew Research Center found that millennials had overtaken baby boomers as the largest generation alive in America right now. That's more than just a symbolic milestone. It means that in the 2020 election, for the first time, it will be the millennials, voters aged 23 to 38, who are the largest voting bloc in the country. So how will their attitudes of disillusionment impact the political fights in the months and years ahead as millennials gain power in Washington? In the next segment, We'll examine how the turbulent upbringing millennials have had has impacted their political persuasions and what it might mean for the rising generation of political leaders.
again and again, millennials and Generation Z have looked towards the government and seen nothing but chaos in return, from the war in Iraq, to the 2008 financial crisis, to the ongoing coronavirus pandemic. How do these great disillusionments, as Charlotte calls them, impact young people's political identities? Looking at the 2020 primaries can give us a hint. The Center for Information and Research on Civic Learning and Engagement at Tufts University estimates that in the caucuses and primaries through March 10th, Joe Biden won about 300,000 votes from voters aged 18 to 29. Bernie Sanders, on the other hand, won over 1.1 million. At least in the Democratic side, where the majority of young voters fall, young voters have rushed towards politicians offering large-scale structural change to the American system of government. Specifically, many young voters have called for an expanded government safety net to give them a helping hand with the financial problems they have faced. There are many millennials who will disagree with what I'm about to say. I'm not trying to speak for everybody. But the trend is that what millennials have seen over the course of that first financial crisis and the kind of sluggish recovery was that um, a lot of the things that their parents were able to depend on the private sector to provide things like health insurance and enough money to uh, afford an education and uh, you know enough money to be able to purchase a home those things are no longer within reach for millennials and that's largely because of the financial crisis but it's also because of just the way that our economy has changed since the 20th century during much of the 20th century there was much more government investment in public education, which meant that you know, going to a public university uh, in the 1960s when somebody like, say, Mitch McConnell graduated from the University of Kentucky, it cost around $300. Now it costs tens of thousands of dollars. What that has meant is that we've seen millennials politically demand a more robust government investment in a basic social safety net because the kind of jobs that they're likely to have in a 21st century economy no longer provide the security that 20th century jobs once provided. So I think that that transition from looking to the private sector to provide things like health education and you know, enough income to buy a home to looking to the public sector to help support families as they try to do those things, that is a central shift that we're seeing many millennials making. Charlotte says that shift is likely to only be exaggerated by coronavirus. And it may also mean some of those ideas championed by millennial voters, but once seen as being outside of the political mainstream, could have a greater chance of making it into law. Already, the IRS has begun mailing $1,200 relief checks to millions of Americans, a kind of limited version of the Universal Basic Income Program proposed earlier this year by Andrew Yang, another candidate popular among young voters. It likely won't be the last idea to make its way from college campuses to congressional debate. Well, I certainly think that the drumbeat of Medicare for All is going to get a lot stronger after this. I certainly think that there is going to be a greater argument for canceling student loan debt in an economy where a sixth of American workers have filed for unemployment. And I also certainly think that, you know, if we have a Democratic president um, that is looking for a robust economic response to this crisis, I certainly think that a Green New Deal or something like it is, is an idea that's going to get increased traction because uh, there will be a very strong demand 
for the federal government to put people to work in a way that also solves our climate crisis. I'm not trying to say that all of, all of those things are going to happen, but I do think that this crisis does make it a little bit more likely that we could see some of those things. And the leaders pushing for these ideas are likely going to be disproportionately young, even as they operate in a system that is still mostly led by older politicians. AOC and Pete Buttigieg are going to be around for a while. I don't think that this was Pete Buttigieg's last presidential campaign, and I also think that AOC is somebody who we're going to be talking about in national politics for a while. But I also think that, you know, like one of the main theses of this book is essentially like, no matter what, the fact that we have so many people leading our government who are in their late 70s, I mean, across the board, we've got Donald Trump, Mitch McConnell, Nancy Pelosi, Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, all, all of the major players are pushing 80, right? Mm -hmm. If they haven't turned 80 already. What that means is that 2024, 2028, it's not going to be the same cast of characters. It just is not. Um, and I don't want to say exactly who will be in that new cast, but I do think that there's tremendous appetite for fresh faces and for um, a government that reflects the 21st century instead of a government that feels left over from the 20th. And even within political parties, as this new generation of leaders takes charge, Charlotte says the differences in style between them and their older counterparts will become quickly apparent. I think that in some ways we have spent the last decade preparing for this. Um, we've been insisting on change. We've become activists, advocates, advocates for a cause, um, tr trying to carve out space to make wide sweeping systemic change um, in a very right slow, purposeful way. Um, but also have become entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs inside of uh, a nation that didn't have enough jobs or wasn't ready to make the space themselves. So we've been these insisters of saying, like, we have, you have to have space for us. Um, and if there wasn't going to be the space, we were just going to invent it ourselves. Time and again, millennials and Generation Z have been tested in unique ways and forced to create spaces for ourselves as a result, as Shira said. Instead of taking cues from adults, many young people have been agitating for change even before the coronavirus struck, from Malala Yousafzai fighting for human rights, to Greta Thunberg calling for climate action, to the students of Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, creating a nationwide movement demanding gun control. Of course, young activists are nothing new in American politics, but one listener suggested that the weight of issues facing young people today and the inaction by older leaders has led to a need for young people to become involved with politics at an earlier age than ever. Hi, my name is James Bicalis. I'm currently a sophomore in college. Even before the virus emerged, I think we've seen that many of the issues that are facing the world today require our generation, um, our generation's leadership and an earlier point in our lives than previous generations have been called upon to take these sort of roles. Um, for example, climate change. Um, the current generation in power um, hasn't taken decisive action on this issue. So I think and hope that the current crisis will sort of shape our identity as leaders earlier in our lives um, so that we can make an earlier and decisive stand on these kind of global issues.
Who will be the young leaders to emerge out of the wreckage of the coronavirus outbreak? How will the pandemic and resulting economic crisis impact a generation already distrustful of government and anxious for change? In the early stages of this pandemic, those are questions we can't yet answer. But as coronavirus cases and job losses climb in unison, they are sure to be questions that will become crucial in our political discourse and in the looming election fight just six months away. The Wake Up to Politics podcast is produced by me, Gabe Fleischer, and Tim Lloyd, the senior producer of On Demand and Content Partnerships at St. Louis Public Radio. Thank you to everyone who sent in voice memos to share their thoughts for this episode. And thanks to Charlotte Alter, the author of The Ones We've Been Waiting For, which you can find anywhere books are sold.